Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We are living in a time where our, <clears throat> our trust in God, our faith in Him, uh, I won't, for some of us is being tested and it is really being tested to the max. For others of us, um, our priorities are shifting. Um, this time of isolation gives us more time to pause and think and meditate. This week I sent out a song to you, to the fellowship. Um, I'm sure all of you would have received it. It's a, it's a fairly new song out there. It's doing the rounds at the moment. I've just found it to be such a blessing as I carry you in my heart, as I pray for you. And it comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. 20, I'm going to read from verse 22 to 27, and we're going to start there. But it is the blessing that God told Aaron to speak, Aaron the priest, to speak over God's chosen people. It is a beautiful blessing. And you will all have heard it, I'm sure, especially those who come out of a more traditional church background. This is often called the benediction, and it's spoken over the people, you know, as they as they sort of conclude a service and the people leave. But this is what it says. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons, who were also priests, and say to saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. So this is from God. This is a blessing from God over you and my life today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And this has been my prayer for you all this week as we are in lockdown, as there's uncertainty concerning the future, as we think of the effects that this uh, pandemic is having on our country some of us, I think, are caught in, a, in, a, in an overly optimistic mindset that says, right, when lockdown eases, life will return to normal. But the fact is, there's currently no vaccine for this thing. There's no cure at the moment for this thing. And even though businesses may start up again, and even though we'll socially integrate again to some, in some ways, it's not going to be the way we knew it before. Uh, this thing will linger. And what, what is our heart attitude in the midst of this all need to be. Well, I want to read this prayer over you again. The Lord bless you and keep you. Our heart attitude is to understand that God's blessing rests upon us and that He will keep us, that His face is shining upon us and that God is gracious to us. He's lifted up His countenance upon us and that we should live in peace. That despite everything that's going on around us, despite the circumstances and all the fear, peace is the lot of the believer. I love verse 27. It says, So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. They'll put my name on them. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of the days that I used to go to school, and I used to have to make sure that my shirts and socks and everything had my name on them, so that they would never get lost. So that whoever found them would know to whom they belonged. It, they were mine. They were, it was my shirt. I, it, I owned it. It belonged to me. And I think there's something so beautiful in this uh, portion of Scripture, folks, where God, wants, God has put His name on us. We are His people. 
and his countenance is upon us. Now what really blessed me as I was pondering through this and thinking about it. When somebody's countenance is upon you, it means that they're looking on you. Now in this, in this portion of scripture, they're talking about make his face shine upon you. In other words, that he's smiling on you. The prayer is that God would smile on you. That his favor would be felt. That he would look upon you with delight. And there's something beautiful in that. But I'm sitting in front of a screen this morning. And very often I stand in front of a church and there's a lot of faces that look at me. And when somebody looks at you, there's something in you that knows that they're eliciting a, a response from you. There's an expectation. I mean, if you meet somebody in the store and you, you're shopping around, suddenly you look and someone's just looking at you. You realize that, that you have their attention. And the fact that you have their attention means that a, a response is, is required from you. You could say good day, you could smile back, you could greet them. And the question that I had for you today, as I was thinking through this this week, is the thought of God's face looking at you. What kind of response does that elicit in your heart? Does it give you a sense of joy or a sense of peace to know that God is looking at me? He, I have his attention. He, he, he knows what I'm up to and he's, he's, he's looking at me. Does that fill my heart with peace or joy? Does it fill me with fear? He knows everything. Does it fill me with shame? Do I feel a sense of comfort to know that God is watching me? That he's got his eye on me. That I have his attention. Does that fill me with comfort? With fear? With shame? And then I thought to myself, what would God want my response to be? You know, with my girls, every time I look at them, I know exactly what they, I want their response to be. Whether they're naughty, whether they're good, whether they've just said something they shouldn't have, or whether they've just said the most beautiful thing in the world. When I look at my girls and I give them my attention, the right response is always a move towards intimacy. It is to engage. When I look at my girls and I give them an intention, if when I address them, when I call them, what do I want as a father? I want to engage with them. I want to talk with them. I want to either tell them that I love them and shower them with blessings and, and have an argument with them about who loves who more. Because that's, that's the standard turn of phrase. I love you and I love you more. I love you most. Oh, you can't beat that. And that's the conversation we have. Uh, or I want to correct them. Or I want to ask them to do something. But the right response in any given situation, the response that makes my heart glad is when they look at me or they turn to me and they give me their attention. This is most difficult when they are sat in front of that device over there, the television. Because then I talk, but they can't hear me. And then I ask and it just it falls on deaf ears because their attention is elsewhere. They are focused on something else. But folks, I've been really gripped by this thought this week that God's countenance is upon us. And his countenance upon us is a countenance of grace. It is a countenance of grace. When God is looking at you, God is not angry. There's a... 
there's a praise and worship song that we sometimes sing in church, but, but when I heard it sung live um, by the artist, her name escapes me right now, she's talking about the eyes of Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about eyes of fire and they burn and they have... And to me, as I had heard those and as I'd, I'd heard that scripture a few times growing up, that was a frightful thing to me. Eyes that burn with fire. It's like they're going to consume me if I look into them. And yet she says in her praise and worship song as she was singing, she said, with eyes that burn with love for me. And that entirely changed my perspective of God, what it is like when God is looking at me. God's eyes are filled with a fire and that is the fire of passionate love for you and for me. And so what is his desire? His desire is the same as what my desire would be towards my girls. I want unhindered intimacy with them. I want to be able to communicate with them. I want to be able to listen to their hearts, to guide them, to coach them, to talk with them through their trials and struggles, um, and to help them to, to achieve their dreams, to achieve the things that they're trying to achieve where they are. And I think my love for my children is demonstrated through the way I behave towards them, towards the way I, I, I love them, the way I provide for them, the way I correct them. These are all ways in which I show my love for my girls. And likewise, this is the same way that God shows His love and demonstrates the passion of His love for us. I want to read this portion of Scripture to you from the book of Romans, chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 4 to verse 10, but I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. Because this it just says it so beautifully. Uh, the thrust of this, you will have heard it in the New King James, it says that it's the goodness of God that draws us towards Him. It's the goodness of God that leads us towards repentance. But the way the, new, the, the, the Passion Translation articulates it is as follows. It says this from verse 4. Do the riches of His extraordinary kindness make you take Him for granted and despise Him? Let's just pause for a moment. Do the riches of His extraordinary kindness make you take Him for granted or even despise Him? Why would it make you despise Him? Well, look, for granted we can understand. You know, once you become accustomed to a certain way of life, you you, you take certain things for granted. Paul sent me a beautiful uh, clip this week on, on, on WhatsApp about a man who fasted three days, who, who got lost in the jungle, and after three days without food, he found an apple tree, and he picked ten apples. And that first apple was sweet and he was so grateful for that one apple because he hadn't eaten in three days. And he enjoyed it and he savored every mouthful. But after a couple of days, once he got to the eighth or ninth or tenth apple, he just didn't appreciate it to the same, the same way he appreciated that first one. It just became familiar. It just became common. But what about despising him? Do the riches of his goodness make you despise him? What does that mean? Why would it make me despise him? Well... The only thing I can think of is there are people who experience and walk in the goodness of God who I don't perhaps feel deserve it. <laughs> and I might be angry at God for wanting to bless them instead of bless me. But what I want to talk to you about today is how God has dealt with you and how God has dealt with me. He carries on to say, haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? Isn't that beautiful? God's blessing 
God's grace, His love, His mercy, His extravagant kindness are given to us in order that he, we may see how benevolent and good He truly is, that He would melt our hearts and lead us to repentance. We come to that beautiful word again. He says, But because of your calloused heart and refusal to change direction, you are piling up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's judgment is revealed. What is a calloused heart? Well, it says it there. It's a heart that refuses to change direction. It's a heart that is insensitive to God. I play the guitar, as you know. My left fingers are calloused on the end from playing 12-string guitar. Um, my right fingers are not. Now, when I play the guitar with my left hand, it doesn't hurt anymore. Granted, when I come back, it probably will hurt quite a bit. But nonetheless, because I'm not playing as much as I usually do. But you can actually see I've got little calluses on my fingers there. They're not as sensitive as the fingers on my right hand. And if I were to play guitar with the fingers on my right hand, they would also become calloused. Engaging with, with the... So a hard heart is a, is a heart that is calloused. It's not sensitive to, to God's leading, to His unction anymore. It's a heart that keeps God at a distance in order to say, don't interfere with what's going on here. I don't want you to interfere in my life. Um, how many of you have had kids do that before? I know what I'm doing. Can't I just do it my way? It's a heart that resists what God wants for me because of what I want for me. It's like, it's like the parable of the sower and the hard unyielding soil. God wants to put something in there that will produce life and fruit and blessing, but the soil doesn't want to yield. It is calloused. It is hard. Hard. Folks, there's something I want us... That there's a fundamental truth that runs throughout the Bible that we need to understand and that we need to settle in our hearts if we are going to respond to God's countenance correctly. And that is, God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed. Spiritually blessed. Materially blessed. Relationally blessed. Physically blessed. Every sphere of your life Jesus paid a price that you may experience the fullness of the blessing of God now I want to say this to you when you think about blessing we have various ideas of this but I want to suggest something to you today that will, will help you understand the, what the blessing of God is and how it works in all spheres of life the blessing of God and the presence of God are synonymous you cannot have one without the other they go together if you think of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were blessed in everything that they did. And then when sin happened, God had to separate them for himself, from himself, the source of life, the source of blessing. And that was the introduction of the curse. The curse was separation from the blessing. All right. Now, God wants us to live in the fullness of his blessing, in the fullness of his presence, in the fullness of his guidance, of his provision, of his life, of his life force and his grace working in us and through us. But like Pastor Andreas said last week, he asked this question. It's a poignant question. If we are the blessed of God, if we are living in the promises of Abraham, if we are free from the curse and the effects of the curse, how come so many live defeated lives? They live lives that look the same as the world around us. They don't have any different answers. And the simple answer is that they have not turned from their own ways or this world's ways to embrace the ways of God. God's countenance is upon them. 
He has poured out his blessing and his love to them. But the response to his presence and his countenance has not been the right response. It's been a calloused heart response that says, I want to do it my way. That says, I want what I want. That says, this is what I want to achieve in my life or accomplish or who I want to be. The decision and the act of letting go of my ways and that which is dear to me in order to lay hold of or embrace God's ways and allow him to lead is the seed of blessing. I want to say that again. The decision and act of letting go of my ways and what is dear to me is a seed that I sow to embrace the blessing of God. The title of my message today is The Blessing Seed. You see, there is a cost to blessing. Because of the fallen world that we live in, there is now a cost to blessing. Now, Jesus paid the price for our blessing. Amen? He, he paid that cost. But you and I have to pay a cost to walk in it. Maybe nobody's ever told you that before. But there is a price to pay for the blessing of God. Now, Jesus paid the ultimate price that the blessing of God could come upon us. In other words, we can live life from a place of blessing, from the place of the presence and the unction and the leading of the Spirit of God. But in order to do that, I also have to pay a price. Jesus paid the price to make it possible. I have to pay the price to, to have that materialize in my life and to experience and to walk in the fullness of that blessing. And what is that price? John chapter 12, 24 to 26 tells us. Again, I'm going to read to you from the Passion Translation. He says, this is Jesus speaking. Let me make this clear. Let's get this then. This is, this, we need to understand this. This is basics. This is Christianity 101. Jesus says, I want to make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. You will only be and you will only have what you have and what you can do as long as you hold on to what you have and what you can do. But the day that you and I are willing to surrender our hearts, our dreams, our desires, our resources to God. He and His presence comes and blesses that and brings life to it and causes it to multiply for His glory and for our benefit. Verse 25 says, The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life. Isn't that incredible? We want true life. We want the best. That's why we pamper ourselves. That's why we treat ourselves and we, we, you know, we love and we, we, but the Bible says if we do that, we're actually going to miss the essence of true life, the blessing of God. But the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me. Now look at that. That is that turning of giving attention to the countenance of God, which is upon me. I turn from what I want to do and I put my attention on you, Lord God. That is the right response. That is the response that I would want from any one of my kids. He says, that one will find true life. Why? Because he is the source of true life. And enjoy it forever. So he's not just saying that you've got to let go of this thing. And he's not just pointing to the pain of letting go. Because listen, you let go of something, you spend money, there's a cost to things. It's, it's painful. But he says, 
If you do that, you will find something which will reward you so much more and you will enjoy it forever. Not just have it forever, but enjoy it. There's life in it. There's pleasure in it. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and you will go where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, my Father will shower his favor upon you. What is God's desire? To shower his favor upon you. This doesn't come without trial. It doesn't come without sacrifice. But that is his desire. And his desire is that we would desire to press into that. What is a seed that dies? Well, it's a bit like having your cake and eating it. You can't have your cake and eat it. Nicola, you ate your cake. You don't have it anymore. You enjoyed it. It's like you, you cannot maintain control of your life and think that you can enjoy a life that is led by the Spirit of God and experience the fullness of the blessing of God. Understanding, a seed dying is relinquishing control. And this is why it's so important to have an intimate relationship with God because how would I ever give control of my life to somebody that I cannot trust? But God is an awesome Father. And when I have a revelation of His love for me, to open up, to throw up my hands and say, Lord, your will, whatever you want, your will be done, becomes so much easier. You see, again and again and again, as we journey through this life, God will ask us to lay certain things down as a seed for greater blessing. See, when God calls us out of something, if we just focus on the sacrifice, we miss the point. God wants us to give something so that we can receive something even greater. More of who He is. Our satisfaction with what we have is the greatest limiting factor in our lives to what we could have. Now, that apply, that's a universal principle. My satisfaction with what I have is my greatest limiting factor for what I could have. Um, what I have of God, if I'm satisfied with that, I won't press in for more. What I have financially, if I'm satisfied with that, I won't work to attain more. Who I am, what I, my weight physically, my physical appearance, my body, if I'm happy with that, why would I diet? Why would I work out? Why would I exercise? Now, could I be more financially? Yes. Could I be more? Uh, could I have a deeper and a more intimate relationship with God? Yes. Could I be healthier and fitter? Yes. But what's it going to take? There's a price to pay. If you desire more, it's going to cost. But here's the truth, folks. God desires more of you. God desires more of you for himself, greater intimacy with you, a deeper walk and a, and a most loving journey with you. You see, God has brought us into covenant through Jesus. He's made awesome things available to us. But to enter into the fullness of those things requires sacrifice. I want to give you a couple of scriptural examples. I don't want to spend too much time focusing on them. But I want to give you some examples of this. So the first one I want to do is Abraham. Genesis 17, I'm going to read to you verse 1 to 8. This is God articulating and expounding on the covenant that he makes with Abraham. So he starts by saying, and I'm reading the New King James here, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you uh, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and, I shall, and you shall be 
a father to many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father to many nations. Who made him? God did. So God makes the covenant. God set the term because God had an incredible promise for him. We know in his journey started, he said, Abraham, I want you to come out from your people. Come out from where you are. Give up your life. Give up your comfort and go to a place that I will show you. Picking up again from verse 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I also give you and your descendants after you the land which you are a in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So Abraham receives this incredible covenant from God. They, they make covenant, they slaughter the animal and they, they make this covenant together. Eventually, years go by, Isaac is born, the son of promise. And Isaac grows up, and Isaac hits an age, probably about 25, 27 years old, I think it is, if I, if I remember correctly. And God says to, to, to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take that son. I want you to take him three days journey. That son of promise, that son that I gave you, that blessing. I want you to take him about three days journey. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. I want you to lay him on the altar. And Abraham did. He packed his wagon. He got his son together. And off they went. And they went three days journey. And I don't, again, I don't want to go into all the details of the story. He like gets there. He builds an altar. He puts his son on the altar. He's about to write, drive the knife through, through Isaac. And God provides the substitute ram. But this is what God's response was to Abraham. After his obedience in being willing to give up even his blessing that was God's blessing. The angel of the Lord called to Abram. This is Genesis 22, 15 to 18. A second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. So let's just think about that. Because you have yielded. Because you gave me the obedient response, because you trusted me with that which was most precious to you, not only will I bless you, but blessing will I bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants to, as the stars of the heaven, as the sand of the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you obeyed my voice. You see, because of Abraham's willingness to yield to God's desire, without resistance, God didn't just bless him, but he added blessing to blessing. And he added multiplication to multiplication. It's incredible that through a hardship that God put on, them, on him, the purpose was greater blessing. Greater surrender to prove his faith, to test his faith, but it brought, brought forth such great blessing. You know, sometimes hardship, folks, is part of God's plan for, our, for His glory and for our blessing. That's just the way it is. God works things in us and through us that we, He cannot do without hardship. I was so taken aback by this portion of Scripture in Genesis chapter 15 when I, when I read it, because I'd never noticed it before in the Bible. God is talking to Abraham. Now, He's made covenant with him. He's now talking to him. 
And he says to Abraham, he's talking about his descendants. He says, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. What was he talking about? Abraham's son, Abraham had a son Isaac, Isaac had a son Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons, they became the 12 tribes of Israel, one of them was Joseph, Joseph as you know was sold into slavery, he became uh, a, a servant in, in Potiphar's house, then he became assistant, went to jail, eventually became assistant to Pharaoh, Be through interpreting dreams, he became the most powerful man under Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt and garnered such favor that he allowed that Pharaoh allowed Joseph to bring all his family, all the Hebrew people, into the land of Egypt while there was a famine in the land. And the, and, and, and the Hebrew people prospered in Egypt and God blessed them with the, while they were there. Eventually that Pharaoh dies a few generations later. Now the people of Israel have grown. Another guy rises up and he says, no, 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 these guys are outnumbering us now. Look how blessed they are. We've got to take control here and make them our slaves. And that began 400 years of captivity in Egypt before God raised up Moses. Now God was speaking to those people here. Before this, he's telling Abraham that this is going to happen. You're going to have a season and a period of hard time. 400 years. We're talking about 10 biblical generations here. But afterward, you are going to come out blessed. You are going to come out with great possessions. And I am going to have proven my glory by taking victory over the gods of Egypt and putting Pharaoh in his place. Folks, perhaps what you're going through right now is a difficult time. But the question I have for you is, what is your afterward going to look like? That depends on you. That depends on you. We're stuck in a time of quarantine or a time of isolation. What are you doing in your isolation that is going to make your afterward look different? Or let me rather say, what is God doing in your time of quarantine that is going to make your afterward look very different? couple of things I want to do just to close. I want to give you one more example of how this worked out in Scripture. This idea of giving up life that we can attain the true blessing of God in fuller measure. The best person to look at for this would obviously be Jesus. One of my favorite portions of Scripture comes out of the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read it to you from verse 5 to 11. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, although he was blessed with all power, he didn't consider that something to, be, to hold on to. But he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. So in other words, from being God, he became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And then there's this beautiful word that verse 9 starts with. Therefore, because of this, because Jesus was willing to relinquish what he wants, because in that moment in Gethsemane, when he said, God, if there's any other way, let this cup be taken from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Because Jesus was prepared to do that, therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth. 
that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God gets glory out of the glory of His people. God gets glory out of the blessing of His people. We are to be a testimony, an ambassador to the world of what the blessing and the grace and the glory and the mercy of God looks like. That's why God wants to pour it out on you. That's why God wants you walking in it. So that you not only are blessed, but that you become, as he said of Abraham, such a blessing that through you people get to see what the love of God looks like. Now if we want to enter into this fullness of God's blessing and his purposes for our lives, we need to realize the cost. What is it that God wants for you? He wants his life in exchange for yours. In other words, that his life will live and be alive in you. And for that to happen, yours has to die. Mine has to die. This is the way the Apostle Paul thought about this thing. Philippians 3 verse 8. To truly know him, he's talking about to truly know God, to truly know Jesus, meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's like a pile of manure to me now. That I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all his greatness. He had the right response. His response was to say all of this stuff that man thinks is so great. He was a powerful man, an influential man, a highly respected man. He says, I put all of that aside. Because to know Jesus, to experience the blessing, was better than anything that that had to offer. All of that stuff is temporary. One day I'm going to have to stand before God where all of that stuff will melt away. What will be left? Beloved, I want to say to you, God's countenance is upon you today. God is smiling on you because Jesus paid the price for your sin. There is no anger in His heart towards you. No maliciousness, no disappointment. God is thoroughly in love with you. But if you truly want to experience the blessing and the fullness of His presence, we have to be prepared to yield to it. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you in all spheres of your life. My question to you today, my brother, my sister, what will your response be? What is there that you are holding on to that God has been talking to you about letting go? What dreams do you still work towards or still carry in your heart that are yet to be surrendered to His will, to His life? It's amazing that no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've journeyed with God, even though we may have experienced so much of His blessing already, there is always more. And those who understand that and desire it are not afraid nor cautious nor apprehensive about paying the price to get there. I want to close by the same words I opened out with. My family, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, 
come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.